Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Uh, we just did an episode, five things Michigan and its fans can feel comfortable about, five things maybe that are still existing questions a month before the season. And so what we're going to do at, leading up to the season, because eventually the Friday or Thursday, Friday episode will be a preview episode, but... Leading up to the season, I thought it would be fun to do Monday, Tuesday, or earlier on in the week, we'll do a planned content piece, and then uh, the later episode in each week, we can kind of react to some of the press conferences and interviews uh, that we took part in, and then we can also take some questions. So we will start with the questions, and we'll start with Derek Fonts, who says, is Ben Mason really working out with the TEs? Uh, is this a sign that he is super flexible as a football player or jack of all trades but master of none? Or is it, or is this just false and he is just a good special teams player and there's nothing wrong with that at all? Uh, Linda also followed up and said, follow up to this question. If Mason is really working out with TEs, is it primarily for blocking? Uh, is Mason the square peg in the proverbial round hole in Gaddis's offense? So didn't realize this was a major topic of discussion. Um, I, I, I must have missed that. But no, it, this is answered pretty quickly. In the current system, Josh Gaddis' system, whoever, who, you know, probably just Gaddis, uh, fullbacks work out with the tight ends. You know, they warmed up with uh, Van Sumeren and Mason, both warmed up as tight ends for the Citrus Bowl. And so they're kind of viewed as H-back type players uh, where they are block first. I mean, they might, they might be in the backfield. They might take a carry here and there, but I think you're going to see, especially, you know, we just mentioned the pass protecting, maybe not being a concern, but being something people are curious about. Uh, they probably want to use Mason closer to the line. You know, probably won't be traditional eye formation if the quarterback's in the shotgun and they want pass protecting help especially for maybe picking up linebackers. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for him to practice at tight end. I would, I would assume Mason will block more than he will carry the ball this year. So, Steve, that's kind of, I mean, I don't think he's switching to tight end. I think he's just playing fullback H-back. So I think that's, that's the short answer of things. Any, anything to add there? No, I do. You know, you said uh, you didn't know it was a topic. But now that it's actually brought up, it is kind of interesting. He's not really a name that we've heard much um, right. about. You know, and that's <clears throat> interesting considering he's kind of a guy who's been not like a major impact player every year that he's been on campus, but he's played every year. He's seen the field a healthy amount, right? I mean, so kind of interesting to, that his name pops up uh, randomly with – a double question situation. Yeah, I, I look at it this way. Harbaugh loves Ben Mason. 
Right. Uh, I think with that in mind, I think with Harbaugh kind of being the um, conduit behind it, I think they're going to try to find him some kind of role where they can utilize his skill set in some capacity. Definitely think the offensive side of the ball, the fullback type deal, H-back, is better for him than how he was utilized last year. Right? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, the the obviously the defensive tackle experiment didn't work. No. Uh, it, and then... And then I noticed last year, this maybe touches on the square peg round hole comment that Linda made. It seemed like when he, they kind of switched him to fullback and and when they did, it was like really low leverage situations. So it was like either Michigan had a really big lead or is in like the second drive of the game. And then he didn't have any snaps in the second half. So yeah, I I think not to, dog on him because I think he's really really good at what he does but I think it is an interesting situation where um, they completely switched how they want this offense to work it went from you know out muscle everybody bruising uh, you know fullbacks tight ends everything like that to speed and space and I still think they want to out muscle people I still think I mean you talk to Ed Warner you know, his his job hasn't changed, but the skill position roles have. I mean, Gaddis probably looks at his skill lineup and more often than not, he would rather have well think about think about visualizing it like this. You have Ronnie Bell, you have Cornelius Johnson, and then you have, let's say, Zach Charbonnet. You have room for based on my math. I guess two more. So you have Nick Eubanks in there as well. And then you obviously have the quarterback, the five offensive linemen. Is it more beneficial for Michigan to have a Giles Jackson out on the field? Or is he already on the field? Another skill slot type receiver or even another running back? Or is it more beneficial to have a Ben Mason? And so sometimes it will be Ben Mason. But I think the way this offense projects to be, the the formations that they showed last year, the the sets that they kind of showed last year. I don't know how often a fullback is going to be, you know, if you think about the marginal value, I don't know how often the fullback is going to exceed maybe a fourth wide receiver or a kind of slot back type player. Um, Cause I think, I think Michigan likes the opportunity that it has with its speed on offense. I think it likes that it can, it has players who can legitimately outrun people. So square peg round hole might be a, an overstatement, but I do think that the fullback, I think Ben Mason will probably be Michigan's last true fullback ever. And so that would suggest that he will not play as, as prominent of an offensive ball carrying role as maybe Khalid Hill did in, in 2016, or even Ben Mason did a couple times. Uh, but no, I think he's, I think he's really well liked. I think um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was voted a captain. And you mentioned Jim Harbaugh, and and obviously Ben Herbert loves bench Mason. I mean, if your nickname is a, a, a weightlifting apparatus, probably a, a guy who's you know well liked in the locker room, well liked in in practices. So square peg round hole maybe a stretch. I do think his role is going to be a bit more of a blocker this year. 
My thought is this. I, you know, it's fascinating, the dichotomy here. Some of the more innovative offenses in the NFL are still using a fullback, though. True. Like, Kansas City uses a fullback pretty consistently. I feel like I watched him on Thursday night. I can't remember the guy's name. I think he actually scored. You know, but that's, so you think you could still be innovative and still use a guy that has his skill set, right? I think that'll kind of be, you know, what scenarios – do you bring him in as at and, and, you know, find some different ways to utilize him? Cause he's, he, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he's just a, we never, I don't know if they've ever, has he ever, does he have a reception? I think he does. Does he have maybe, oh wait, he had the, the leap. Yeah. Over, where he the, hurdled yeah, a couple somebody. Years ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe some, you know, if, if Gaddis, I, I look at it like this is, you know, another matchups based type guy. It's just a matter of how often do they want to, you know, go that route, I, you know, but I, I, sh- I wouldn't, I don't think switching the, the, let's say the base style of the offense should mean a, that his days of productivity are his biggest days of productivity are gone. And that B that the fullback position in general should just be, or is going to go away just because, I mean, man, most of, I feel like most of these college offenses are sort of in, in inspiration from some pro ball. And, and like I said, the fullback's not going away. Um, well, yeah, like I said, Kansas City and then San Francisco, the two teams that played in the Super Bowl last year play a fullback frequently. So, interesting. True. In, intre- I mean, they – what you're gonna say true, but that there was a there's a but. So here's coming. the thing: Anthony Sherman is Kansas City's fullback. By the way, if you look him up, he looks just like Ben Mason. He has the mohawk, the beard. He wears number forty two, uh, you know, jacked as as can be. So he's he's made a Pro Bowl before. His Pro Bowl season, he had fourteen carries for forty yards, and he had. Six receptions for 47 yards, one total touchdown. And so I'm not trying to say, like, that's nothing. I mean, he, he made a Pro Bowl. He obviously played a key role. But I think even, even though the NFL still uses fullbacks, and I don't think Michigan's, like, necessarily bearing the fullback, it, it, but it, it won't be 20 carries yeah, over eight I, games. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not – I agree. I just um, – I think there's still some there's if you're innovative enough there's still some value in having a guy like that and I think they can be very productive for you so it'll just be interesting to see you know what direction Michigan kind of tries to take that cuz by yeah. do I think we both agree his best his best value for the team is is definitely on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't I don't think I think you're absolutely right. If you are a innovative offensive coordinator the more different things you can do in theory, the better you can be. And so if they have a guy who runs a, a 10, a couple guys who run 10, six hundred meter dashes. Cool. There are a lot of plays you could do with that. If you have a guy who is six, three can hurdle a Maryland defender, but also can probably block as, as strong as most college offensive linemen, probably a spot for that as well. So yeah, I think um, you know it. It might there might be some interesting experimentation with Mason. He might not be the guy that they hand the ball off to 
you know, in a, in a tight game against Penn state, but, but he's someone that's going to see the field uh, as far as the tight end. Yeah. I think, I think people see Mason warming up or practicing with the tight ends during warm up drills and think, Oh, he's a tight end. I, I admittedly, I kind of made that mistake at first when I saw practice back in December. Uh, my assumption is that, you know, they, they, they just view the fullback roles a little bit more in line with what Sharon Moore teaches or coaches in terms of blocking, uh, you know, shifts. And, and yeah, I, don't, I think that that one game where was it? I can't remember who they played. It was somebody that they beat pretty soundly where Ben Mason lined up as a halfback, you know, and kind of took get, a, get the inertia quote. Right. Jim Harbaugh was like, oh, get inertia, get Ben Mason in motion. Uh, I don't think you'll see that as much, but no. yeah. So I, I wouldn't read too much into a player warming up with right. the tight ends, which I, I guess I haven't seen a practice. I, I can't speak to that. But. He's not, he's not going to cut into like Eric all no. or Schoonmaker's snaps, right? Even no. if he's taking his reps with the tight ends and that type of deal, he, he's not yeah. running post routes yeah he's yeah. an h-back <laughs> blocking specialist like all the way fullback yeah so, they so. literally i john jansen with the uh in the trenches podcast literally just had mason on i want to say two months ago so slightly before the season began talking all about ben mason's return to fullback so i don't think they yeah no they i don't think they just scrapped that and said no you're gonna be you know nick eubanks understudy no he's he's an h-back uh you know fullback type and and that works um next question came from well it's actually i i apologize to andy andy schiltz shot me a dm and i i even said i would discuss it on the podcast but then by the time we uh recorded again i i had forgotten about it but it's still relevant so he asked can you guys talk about outside wide receiver slot receiver and if they will be interchangeable this year, uh, you know, with Gaddis, depth on the outside is super thin in terms of tall guys. How how many wide receivers does get? Separate question: How many wide receivers does Gaddis prefer? Um, since it's a spread team now, by that metric, six scholarship receivers is is low. So we'll get to that part in a moment. Uh, but in terms of, you know, I think even Ronnie Bell mentioned it. Like the the wide receiver room got a lot shorter. Six. Two ish down in Peoples Jones, six three, Tariq Black, six four, Nico Collins are all gone. And the recruits that they brought in are AJ Henning, who is five foot eight, if I'm not mistaken, and then Roman Wilson, who is eh, Hen- Henning might be five ten. Uh, sorry. Yeah. And then Roman Roman Wilson. Sorry, I was I was thinking of a different player. Roman Wilson is like six oh, maybe six one. Um so suddenly you look at, I mean, Cornelius Johnson, I think, is the only scholarship receiver over 6-0 and change. And so it is shorter. Um, I don't think that it's actually, I, I've said for, you know, kind of a, after watching Alabama last season, I'm kind of under the impression, even, even outside, speed can beat height, or speed is more valuable than height at the wide receiver position. But, but Steve, uh, I'll let you tackle this one a little bit too. Any any thought to how interchangeable the slot and and outside receivers are, and and what that kind of means for Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, who the three guys I thought might be the top guys on the outside, uh, they obviously bring different skill sets. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're definitely interchangeable. I think you'll see guys moving around all over the place. That's, you know, kind of one of the things Gaddis really likes to do. Kind of the way you're seeing – it's like they talk about positionless basketball. Basketball. <clears throat> I don't want to say positionless football because it's not quite the same, but I don't think, like, it's a deal where you're as married to – a certain area of the field. Now, don't get me wrong, Cornelius Johnson, I'm sure the majority of his snaps will be taken on the outside, right? But I don't think it's a deal where he's going to be on the outside 100% of the time. Same goes for a guy like Henning, Sainra still uh, on the inside. I think Michigan will like to move those guys around. They're going to have to because, like you said, you only have one guy who really fits the mold of like your – classic outside 2005 receiver yeah you know you're actually you're think about your classic michigan receiver you know there's no adrian errington or david terrell you know like those types of guys so um yeah i mean i I agree with the bama stuff i I think if anything it puts a little more pressure on the tight ends to make some plays in the red zone right Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's going to be one thing you're going to really have to look for this season is and that's another area where i think eric all Obviously, Eubanks the the number one guy at tight end, but I, th- I also think that Eric All is a guy. <clears throat> you know, they actually I could see them lining him up on the outside in red zone situations, depending on uh, opponent matchups, that type right. of deal. He's somebody I could see them moving to the outside and, and throwing the ball up to. So it's not as if it's Cornelius Johnson or bust necessarily, as far as the classic jump ball over-the-shoulder fate, you know, that type of stuff. Um, you know, because, yeah, I, th- I think you're going to see a lot more interchangeability with a variety of guys, you know. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't look too much into that stuff. I mean, they know they have, they have a pretty good grasp of how to utilize these guys' skill sets. And, and yeah, I mean, the, you're, you're going to spend a lot of your time in the areas you're expected to. But, again, I don't think that anybody's married to any certain spot. So mm-hmm. um, I think that'll be one of the interesting things is seeing who excels where. Because I think Bell can play on the outside too, right, on a, on a basic situation. Right. Um, so not as – how do I say It's not as dire. Yes, of course, having Nico Collins would be great for the offense. He'd be their <laughs> top receiver, no doubt. That's not the point. The point is, as far as like strictly guys you could throw on the outside inside the 10-yard line, 15-yard line, and get the ball up to, I don't think it's as dire as you know people make it out to be. Well, yeah, and like I'm kind of – by the way, I looked it up. Um, Judy, J- Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith were 6-1, and Henry Ruggs was 5 – or no, he was 6-foot, and then Jalen Waddle was 5-10. So, I mean, 6-1 <laughs> – this is, this is the part that gets funny to me is like, if Ronnie Bell was listed at 6-2, I don't think there would be concerns about you know the outside. I think people kind of look and they say – they they have like a threshold and they're like six two or taller. Yeah, great, great outside weapon. If they're under, you know, six foot or lower or shorter, it's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, they're 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 kind of the slot guys. How many times well, Ronnie Bell might be a bad example because I do think this actually happened a few times. But how many times did Ronnie Bell being six foot six one how many plays where if he was six two, you know, he would have definitely made that play? I mean, the fact is, fast receivers who run good routes and can shake defensive backs and make catches, 
I mean, they'll, they'll make plays somewhere on the field. And I think, I think in the last 10 years or so, and you could maybe argue Michigan was ahead of the curve and then they were slightly behind the curve when Harbaugh arrived. Uh, it, it's really become fast receivers, speed kills. You know, the, if, if Josh Gaddis, you look at his track record, he actually has a lot more success in his kind of on his resume with receivers who are shorter than six two. Nico Collins is really, I mean, I guess I'd have to check the the Vanderbilt Western Michigan stats, but he's really the first guy that under Gaddis that has really emerged as a six foot four, you know, great wide receiving threat. It's been a lot of speed, a lot of shiftiness. So yeah, I think I don't I I think you're right. I don't think it's dire. It's something to consider because right. Ronnie Bell. One thing with with Bell specifically, he lined up in the slot a lot last year. I think I think Pro Football Focus said he actually lined up in the slot more than any other receiver in the Big Ten, and so that's kind of his comfort zone. But I would look at it the same as like if someone who had played guard for Michigan one year shifted to tackle. I, I'd kind of compare it a little bit more to that. Or if someone who had played the Viper linebacker switched to the Will linebacker. I, I think there's certainly, you, you do wonder, and I think the longer this offseason goes, the more people kind of start to think of other things that they have questions about. But I think, you know, we talked about it just a few days ago. I think, you know, we outlined the objective speed that the receiver group has. I feel like that can make up for a year without necessarily well and, and Cornelius Johnson we don't know what he's going to be this season he might be fantastic uh, but to the other half of the question Steve maybe a little bit of recruiting Gaddis has said six wide receivers is is really thin you know he mentioned that they're thin at wide receiver and and it might not feel thin because so many of them feel like they they can contribute this season but your one injury away or one well in in 2020 let's be blunt one positive COVID-19 test away from basically asking true freshmen to start and so so you know I think they if I'm not mistaken they have three receivers in the 2021 class I guess what in in this realm where they might be playing you know four wide or do more trips formations or or have three or four receivers on the field at the same time uh, does that change how Michigan goes after the the wide receivers in in recruiting in terms of a numbers game. Yeah, I mean, so there was that and that was I'm glad cuz recruiting can kind of always help you answer some questions like this. I mean, they definitely made a concerted effort this cycle to take some guys that had a little bit more height, right? So it's not as if the effort is to transform the room into a 6-foot speedster only type situation right um but you know they they can work with what they have but i think one of the things with gaddis is definitely trying to um i don't diversify that wide receiver room as much as possible again Mm -hmm. i look at it the same way we're talking about you know michigan with dax and hill maybe doing some corner with ambry tom it's like michigan is going to have to work with what they have to work with because they have unexpected departures now in the program, you know? So, you know, so that in 21, there's been a concerted effort to 
get a little bit taller. You know, I mean, Andrew Anthony's, I think, 6'2". Xavier Worthy is at least 6'1". He might be 6'2". Uh, they had Marcus Allen. Oh, really? I didn't realize he was that tall. I think he's six. He's at least six foot. Okay, six well, he's one. got he's got speed and height apparently. Okay, he's, noted. He's a five star, <laughs> in my opinion. So, um, been saying that for a long time. But uh, they had Marcus Allen in the boat. He was six four. You know, not committed anymore, but a guy that they took and a guy that, by all accounts, that we thought they liked. You know, so definitely an effort to diversify the the physical the physicality in that room, the build of the of the guys in there. So, yeah, I mean, again, I don't think their lack of a, like, two or three, six, three, six, four guys is, like, you know, makes it a – makes the red zone, like, this huge mountain to climb necessarily, but they are going to have to innovate. You know, that's why I said take a guy like Eric All, you know, as, a possible, yeah. as far yeah. as that goes, right? So that that'll really be the the, the goal this year. And then you just maybe starting next year, you get a couple of these taller guys in there. Um, I think you'll see, you know, then they'll then they'll really have a multi. I mean, I think they're already going to create a lot of matchup problems at receiver this year anyway. But you add a couple guys with a little bit more length, then yeah, I mean, then you can really start to attack opposing defenses in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and if you if if your goal is, it, it kind of depends on what situation right red zone yeah you probably can i mean you could probably put nick eubanks in a gronk you know tight end slot type of situation eric all i think is built for that schoonmaker probably is i mean I, we haven't seen a ton of him and on the field necessarily but you know he's what six seven you know 250 pounds like that that's someone who can who can do something in the in the red zone for sure and so Kind of, I guess, similar to the Ben Mason thing. Michigan has its team. It has the roster that it has. Uh, you know, if it's up to Josh Gaddis and and Jim Harbaugh and uh, you know other members of the offensive coaching staff to figure out how to maximize it. And so, I don't think you necessarily need a six four wide receiver. Obviously, you know, especially someone like Nico Collins who can catch and has an eighty three inch wingspan. Everything that doesn't. That helps. That that only helps Michigan if he's on your offense. But I, I think I'm looking at several top tier teams that don't have scholarship wide receivers who are six four. And they they finish a lot better than Michigan did last season. So um anyway, uh the next thing I want to discuss we didn't get any other questions if I'm not mistaken. Uh of course people are always free to shoot me a DM or or shoot uh, Steve or myself a message if they want to ask a question. But the thing I was curious about, Don Brown spoke this week, pretty pretty informative stuff. Uh, you know, he really broke down every single position. He broke down the depth. He broke down the backups. Uh, but the one thing is he started to talk about position battles. And so, Steve, I'm going to let you go first. But but what position battles? Some of them have been settled, right? It seems like the offensive line might be kind of uh, solidified quarterback is solidified. So I'm curious, what, what position battle do you think, whether it's, it's being discussed or it's not being discussed is the most interesting to you with, Oh, what three weeks before the season starts? Um, Cause that is still a lot of time. I mean, that's almost, uh, you know, it's like two thirds of fall camp basically. 
Sure. Um, so which, which position battles do you think, or pick one and then I'll pick, pick a different one. Right. Uh, but which one stands out the most to you so far? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I mean, I don't know if we'd really call it a battle, but just the, the, just the, the reaction to the Daxon Hill... Sammy Faustin stuff. It's just, it's comical to me. Um, as far as Sammy Faustin, sounds like a guy who's really trending up and may afford Michigan the opportunity to move Daxon Hill around a lot more than they maybe would have originally. You know, as we've penciled Hill and Hawkins in <clears throat> all season as the two safeties, but I know Don Brown has spoke it, he spoke glowingly of Faustin. And Fawson's been named the dude of the day to deal a couple times. You know, it's like when we say that we're hearing like great things about like a four-star freshman, uh, people get really excited. You know, we talked a lot about Makari Page has been a, as is a guy who mm-hmm. looks like he's going to do something. R.J. Moten, you know, and then people are really excited. But then you hear Sammy Fawson, third year in the program, kind of part of that 18 class that you know, were there a lot of guys who were going to be not going to be instant impact type dudes? We talked about Welsh off last episode. These are like guys who are going to be second year at best, but probably guys who would be second, third year in the system would really start to make an impact. You start to hear and the, the reaction to Sammy Faustin making a move is like overwhelmingly negative for some reason. Like, oh, they're desperate at cornerback. You know, what are they doing? This type of deal. It's like, Sammy Fawson is the exact type of player you should want to be hearing about right now if you're a Michigan fan as far as a guy who's trending up within the system. Because this was Michigan's aim when they recruited him. Was that a raw, high-ceiling kind of kid? It was going to take a while to get acclimated. You know, and it gives them an opportunity. I think somebody on the board took um, – again, there was this, this huge blowback about moving Daxon Hill uh, away from the safety position – when you see the snap counts for versatile, other versatile guys in the country, I think it was Xavier McKinney for Alabama who played four different defensive back slots last year for them. Or Isaiah Simmons, which not exactly the same because Simmons is physically just different, can play linebacker, really probably put even, even put his hand down at the college level. Um, another guy emerging at safety to allow Michigan to move their most talented player on their roster, in my opinion, to move him around and utilize him in as many different ways as they believe they can, because Hill is 1000% capable 
of fulfilling a variety of roles. I mean, the last time Michigan had a guy playing a, ver- a wide variety of defensive roles, he was in New York at the Heisman ceremony. You right. should be wanting to hear about these other players stepping up to allow Michigan to utilize their best players in as many different ways as possible. So I guess it's most interesting to me is to see if the Sammy Fawson stuff sticks. Mm-hmm. I don't anticipate a true freshman coming in and winning that job right away. I think if anything, they decide, you know, we'll just stay with Hill. But that's, you know, that whole angle uh, was very interesting to me because, you know, like I said, Fawson was kind of a guy that that 18 class right now is going to be very fascinating this year because it's full of those kind of guys. You could argue the 18 class already has been better than the top five 17 class that Michigan yeah. signed. Let alone, I want to say that Michigan's only had two kids leave that 18 class so far in Miles Sims and Mustafa Muhammad, neither of which made any kind of impact. Sims left really early. Muhammad made no impact, was never going to make an impact, actually. So every other player in that class is still on the roster. You know, Michigan's already lost two true freshmen, two 2020s already. <laughs> um, right. So... Yeah, you know, so I guess that's you know the the safety deal is is one that I'm intrigued by and, and interested to see, you know, if if um if the Faustin stuff is for real. Because again, I I 100% believe that if a, a kid like that steps up and can become a player, and it allows them to use Daxon Hill any way they want to use him, I, I I don't know how you look at that as any other anything else but a, a huge plus for for Michigan defensively. Yes, I think their I think their fans are right to be curious. I I, th- I think you're right though. I think the idea that like curious is fine. This yeah, is, I, I was curious. Like you know, we we didn't just to be to be up totally up front. I mean, we we fully expected Hill and Hawkins to play safety this year and to play it. It maybe be the best one two duo in the Big Ten. If not, that they'd be one of the top two. You know, I mean, we didn't – I don't think any any of us anticipated Faustin getting this much positive publicity or, or even making a move into a, potentially, a potential starting position. You know, it just turns into right. this – they're desperate at cornerback type deal when in actuality it really – again, it's a third-year guy that wasn't ever going to be a first- or second-year guy maybe turning – the light switch has gone on and the coaches are th- thinking, you know, maybe – this this could be great if it works out. So yeah, I think I I see where the fans who are who are worried about this are coming from because the the domino that fell first was that Ambry Thomas left. True, and so that that makes you think that it's a reactionary move to Michigan saying, "Uh oh, you know this this cornerbacks room isn't ready." I don't. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that's that's kind of the line of thinking. Well, in the defensive let's, staff, let's pump up Sammy Faustin, right? As we move Daxton Hill over, but yeah, I think so. I understand the worry, but I, I'm with you. I mean, it's like what, I think back to 2016 with Jabril Peppers. Oh, he's moving to linebacker. Well, I think the other two guys he was playing linebacker with did pretty well that year, right? I don't think that they were like short on line and Devin Bush was on the bench and Kaleek Hudson was on the bench. So it's not, I don't know that it's necessarily, 
Yeah, I, th- I think people are, are quick to jump to it. It's an interesting um, thing that you bring up about like the veteran versus the, the four-star recruit that is from the state because that's kind of happening at defensive tackle, isn't it? Where right. you know, Don Brown doesn't mention Mozzie Smith but does kind of talk up Donovan Jeter calling him a different dude and everything. And it's kind of like everyone's like losing, not everyone, but many fans are like losing their minds. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe the guy who's in his fourth year at the college level, who is a four-star recruit himself, maybe he is a couple steps ahead of the redshirt freshman. Right. So, yeah. And and that that hype, and this is somebody asked us in the VIP chat, one of my great question, like hype doesn't mean that they're going to be like first team, all big 10 player. So like for Don Brown to say great things about Donovan Jeter, the reaction is, Oh, they've been hyping up Donovan Jeter for two years now or whatever with who they have. All they need Donovan Jeter to do is at the very least be a productive second unit defensive tackle. Right. right with Hinton and Kemp, almost assuredly, you know the starters up there. Because that was the other big takeaway. I know it's not really a position battle necessarily, but kinda was the the fact that they want to play more four man fronts this season. I think that's mm-hmm. great news if you're Michigan. Yeah, a that's fans, right. Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan, because that that's been the big concern is all that you know how you know what they've looked like in the middle. But again. Julius Walshoff, Taylor Upshaw, part of that 18 class, guys that weren't going to do it, weren't going to make an instant impact. You know, so I've always been fascinated with that 18 cycle. I knew what Michigan was trying to do there. I thought it was, I have always defended it, but there was no doubt it was a little, not unorthodox necessarily, but there was some risk involved because you were taking guys that weren't, a lot of guys who weren't, not just not finished products, but like guys who were quite a ways away from being a finished product, which... I think increases the variance between floor and ceiling, right? So, yeah, a lot of guys like that, and so you start, but you're starting now to you know, these names are starting to creep out a little bit, a little bit more. You know, as some of these guys are starting to, you know, Welshoff's a guy that's gotten a lot of pub. Upshaw's a guy we expect to make some kind of impact this year. Um, you know, so yeah, it's it's, it's been uh, as always. Don Brown, his pressers, I think, are pretty much they're the best because he's usually very upfront. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very positive. He's very, you know, he is positive about his players. Not a, you know, it's not, not like Zordich. I was yeah. just going to say, it's not necessarily a Zordich style, but you know, that, so that was kind of my thing. So, yeah. Well, it, one thing with the 2018 class doesn't hurt that they went completely three for three with their top three recruits. Cause McGrone Mayfield and Hutchinson yep. all get varying top 50 buzz pretty much every time there's a big board or mock draft released. Hayes uh, has a shot to get in. has a shot yeah. to move up there too. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to see him play more than right. know, two group of five schools, but I, 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 I agree. I think that they've got a lot of hits there and I think there's a pretty good chance that that class is looked back upon as maybe the, I think MGO blog did like a most underrated class the last 25 years. I think 2018 has a chance to get into that mix so anyway, my position battle. Sorry, I know that was. I know we kind of covered a few topics there. I'm really curious about because um, I think the offensive line has kind of been sorted out. I, Barnhart does he find a way to to reinsert himself even with Mayfield back? That's maybe one 
thing I'm curious about, but I, I think it's on the defensive side because I think there was talk that it could be a battle, but then Don Brown kind of spoke it into becoming a position battle is the Viper position uh, because we finally talked to Mike Barrett yesterday, um, kind of got his thoughts, and, and obviously his competitor is not someone people necessarily thought was going to start. We've talked about him as kind of that, that next man up in the linebacker room regardless of position, but Anthony Solomon. And so these are two guys, I think both of whom Michigan kind of viewed as, I mean, Solomon played a lot year one, but he wasn't necessarily playing linebacker in year one as he was adding, I think he's added 15 pounds he got on campus. And then Barrett obviously played linebacker in high school, but really was more of an offensive player. Yeah, I'm just very curious about this Viper position because it, it's important. There has not been a season. You could argue maybe 2018 was one year where Devin Bush's speed kind of neutralized uh, a, a down year for Khalid Hudson. But every other year at Michigan, you know, with, with Don Brown's defense, the Viper has played a critical role. I mean, either been the leading tackler, leader in tackles for loss, a Heisman finalist. It's every single year. And so this is a really important position battle that that I think a lot of people just kind of have circled Michael Barrett to, to win the job. And I, I he'll play. I guess where it's less critical is I don't think the loser of the Viper position battle is not going to rotate in. But I am very curious to see kind of how, the, how these next three weeks develop because Michigan's defense has a lot. You know, we've talked about they've got a lot of leaders. They've got stars at almost every position, maybe not cornerback, but I think that they, I think you can make the argument they need a, a star at Viper in order for this defense to really click at full speed. Yeah. Barrett, another 18 um, project guy. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But really the other thing is it's not quite the same as Sammy Fawson. Cause we've said a lot of good things about Anthony Solomon. Um, Fawson was one we didn't heard hadn't heard like a ton about necessarily, but Solomon's a guy we've consistently said Michigan really likes. And the fact he played every game on special teams last year, I think he was one of only a few uh, guys that did that um, is always a good indicator that the staff is really high on a guy. Yeah. They did the same for Kalik Hudson. Right. So the fact that he's pushing Barrett, who is a guy that we've consistently been told was really the heir apparent to Hudson at Viper. That was the full expectation. I think the fact that Solomon's pushing him already is, again, I think that's these are the types of battles you want to hear develop because the expectation is that they thought Michael Barrett was capable of playing at a high level at the Viper position. So if he has somebody pushing him, Solomon, to me, kind of falls into that same way I look at Jalen Harrell in 20, was really highly ranked early in the process and then kind of grew out of his original position or didn't grow. Well, no, with Solomon, he didn't really, he didn't really grow into it. He didn't get a lot bigger, um, and his ranking kind of fell. Same way Harrell was originally a middle linebacker for 24-7, and his ranking fell because he was still playing middle linebacker but like became way too big to play it and is basically – probably going to be have his hand down at Michigan or maybe play edge mm-hmm. um, as basically what I'm saying is I, I I think Michigan kind of got a really good player 
I don't want to say at a discount price, but a lot of times schools will back off guys that if they see them steadily fall down the rankings, I, I think some schools just actually automatically cool on a guy regardless of their scouting ability. Um, you know, and I think Solomon kind of fell into that category. It didn't help that Miami or it didn't hurt that Miami imploded. Um, but best case scenario, again, I think that's another spot you want competition at. And I know you add Mohan to the mix who, I think is going to play just because you can't burn your red shirt this year. Like, I think he's a guy, whether it's in junk time or whatever, I, I think he's a guy you're going to see on the field at that mm-hmm. spot. Got to like, it feels like there's finally sort of a, a line of defined guys to kind of take that role. Right. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see where it goes heading into next year, this year, yeah, Barrett Solomon. It's it's almost assuredly that both of those guys are going to play, you know. And I know Solomon's strength was his speed at the position. I think he would he got knocked a little bit because he was slightly undersized. But again, Michigan took him knowing that they had to bulk him up, regardless right. of where he played. That was their main. That was their number one thing with him was we love this kid's ability. We know we got to get him bigger. That's really what it comes down to. So. Fact he is putting the successfully putting on that weight and and pushing Barrett already I think is you know good sign yeah yeah I'm very curious to see because Barrett is 227 Solomon is listed these are roster listings um, Solomon is 212 and Mohan uh, is 205 but I think there's the way the Viper has been used at Michigan I think there's room for all three. I think all three can produce something. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I, I, the one thing I'm curious about with it is I want to see Barrett's speed and like how, how quickly he gets up to full speed, you know, kind of how he moves about in that linebacker role because um, clearly he's a great athlete and a great playmaker. Um, but I think, I, think if, I think in some capacities, especially the way Ohio State and Penn State like to play, you definitely need, um, you know, NFL kind of speed at the at the Viper position, but yeah, that's that's one position battle. Uh, maybe it wasn't one that we would have. I think in August I would have written, I would have included it on the list, but maybe in May or June, I don't think I was going to be listing Viper as a position battle. Uh, so now now the competitive waters are heating up a little bit. So curious about that. Anything else, Steve, from from Don Brown's press conference that that kind of jumped out at you? No, not really. Not that I mean, we I'm, haven't already kind of talked about it. Right. Bit. And we'll, of course, write about it over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247sports.com, uh, including this will probably get published before the podcast does. Uh, Don Brown basically gave us a depth chart. So we'll include his comments, kind of our thoughts, and then actually a projected first and second string at all three uh, levels of the defense. So yeah, lots of interesting stuff. We also talked to Andrew Stuber and Michael Barrett yesterday. Um, so finally getting into this rhythm where it's, it's instead of the news of when a season might happen or what people think about this, it's, it's actually um, football time. You know, I, I'm sure everyone agrees that would have been ideal in a normal year Obviously, you know, you'd love to be, what, about a third of the way through the season by now. But same time, there will be football played later this month, three weeks away. So be sure to 
Check out all of our podcasts leading up to it. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Throw us a subscribe, a rating. Love to see those. Um, you know, Share it with your friends. Maybe someone else might enjoy this podcast too. Thank you so much. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.